On August the 6th, 1999, a Major League Baseball player stepped up to home plate in Montreal and struck out. It was the 5,113th time that this player had gotten to the batter's box and not made it to first base in his career. If you made all of those outs consecutively, that would be like playing, if you had like, let's say, four bats a game, that'd be like playing eight seasons of baseball without getting on first base, 1,278 games. You say, well, did that player feel like a failure when he struck out in Montreal? No. Did he feel like he had failed his team or failed himself? No. You see, that same game, on that same night, that same player stepped up to home plate at a different time and did what only 29 baseball players in all of baseball history have ever done. He got his 3,000th hit. It was an incredible feat, and that player was Tony Gwynn of the San Diego Padres, and he's arguably one of the greatest hitters of all time in his generation. But what I want us to see is, is he was successful at baseball, but he failed a lot. Now, I know it's dangerous to start a message about somebody from California when I'm standing in Texas. <laughs> so let me just say that Nolan Ryan struck out Tony Gwynn nine times. That's right. And that's more than any other pitcher struck Tony Gwynn out. Everything's better in Texas. See, the point is, is that Tony Gwynn failed a lot, tripped up a lot, made it to the batter's box, but not to first base, but was still one of the most successful baseball players of all time. So let me ask this question. All the campuses, please participate. Those over the internet, we're so thankful you're connecting with us. Here's the question. How many of you guys, you played baseball, Little League, whatever it might have been, or softball back in the day, or your kids and or your kids are playing it right now? So you either played it or your kids played it. Yeah, baseball is still the American sport, isn't it? Now, now, here's the question. Baseball got a round of applause. Okay, yes, it's coming up. This is about to start. So uh, with baseball, here's the question, though. When you played Little League or baseball or softball growing up or your kids, have you or your kids, have you ever seen anybody, uh, yourself or your kids, get an out? You actually struck out at home plate. Just raise your hand if you struck out. Look at all the failures at the Rockwall campus. This is, <laughs> what is wrong all this failure, and listen, we're not, we're, we're pretty, you know, just honest and real to admit it, like, hey, yeah, we feel, something about baseball says failure is okay. Yeah, you're learning, you know, you struck out in the, in the batter's box, but you, you'll get them next time. What did you learn from it? You know, how, how are you going to do better next time? In baseball, we accept failure as part of the game, but for some reason, we don't accept failure as part of life. Hey, how many of you guys really blew it this week? No hands go up. <laughs> You know, I don't really want to admit that. Why? Because everybody laughs at failure, don't they? I mean, think about it. On YouTube right now, some of the most viewed videos are called epic fails. Let's just watch all these people. Millions of hits. Let's watch all of these people trip, fall, crash, miss the goal, let their whole team down. Let's laugh at them. That's really embarrassing, but let's don't be them. You know, let's don't fail. For some reason, we think that all the successful people in life Never trip up, never stumble. And if we're not careful, we think strong Christians, really good Christians, never ever strike out. But that's just not true. As a matter of fact, turn to your neighbor right now and say the struggle is real. Tell them the struggle is real. It is. We all strike out and not just in baseball. You see, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 22. If you don't have a Bible, you can look in your worship guide and there's some notes to follow along. I hope you do.
But in Luke chapter 22, we're going to see a story about a, a great Christian who struck out. You see, he was arguably one of the greatest Christians who ever lived. His name was Peter. He was one of the 12 disciples, one of Jesus' three closest friends in Jesus' earthly ministry. And what we're going to see in this story is, is that Peter didn't think he could fail. As a matter of fact, it's a great time to look at this story because we're walking up to Easter together. I hope you're thinking about who you're going to invite to that powerful weekend where we remember what Jesus did for all of us and that he's alive today. But, but when you think about what happened walking up to that, you find this story. Because the night before Jesus died on the cross, he had this last meal, the Passover meal with his disciples. And Peter actually told Jesus this. He, says, he said, Jesus, if you go to prison, I'm going with you. Jesus, if you get executed, I'm going to die with you. Well, what was Peter saying? Jesus, I'm never going to fail. Well, right after that meal, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is arrested. The disciples run. And Peter follows at a distance as Jesus is taken by the soldiers to Caiaphas' house. Caiaphas was the high priest. And, and Peter is following at a distance. He gets into this palace of Caiaphas, and he's in the courtyard as Jesus is on trial for his life. And this really, you know, it's, it's not a, a, a legal situation at all. It's, it's false witnesses and trials couldn't be in the evening. It's just all wrong, but... Is happening in real time, and Peter's in his courtyard. Let me show you what this may look like as you think about where Peter is. He, he's actually into the interior of Caiaphas's house. It's an open courtyard, and there's a fire pit there. Fire pits were not invented in Texas, okay? He's around a fire pit because inside the house, there's an open courtyard, and Jesus is on trial for his life underneath one of the porticos of Caiaphas's home. And Peter is close enough to hear what's going on, see what's going on, but some soldiers and servants and onlookers and Peter have gathered around this, out, this, this courtyard as they listen to this trial that's happening. It's about one o'clock in the morning. And a servant girl looks over the fire and notices Peter and says, you look real familiar. Aren't you one of the followers of Jesus? And Peter looks at her and says, no, I'm not. I, I'm, I don't even know him. Strike one. Then a little while later, around the same fire, another person says to Peter, hey, you look really familiar. Aren't you one of the followers? Are you sure you're not a follower of Jesus? And Peter looks at this person and says, no, I'm not a follower of Jesus. Strike two. About an hour later, another person looks over the fire and notices and listening to Peter's voice, it says, hey, you, you have an accent like one of those backwood Galileans. You know, Jesus is from Galilee. Are you sure you're not a follower of Jesus? And Peter gets real emphatic, almost animated, and says, man, I swear to you, I don't know what you're talking about. Strike three. And at that moment, the rooster crows. And at that moment, let's pick up the story in Luke chapter 22. If you have a Bible, I'll put it on the screen for you. Verse 61, after this third strike, the third time Peter denied Jesus, at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine? They locked eyes, and suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind before the rooster crows tomorrow morning. You'll strike out. You'll, de you'll deny me three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. You can feel it, can't you? Failure is painful. Failure 
hurts. I think that's one of the reasons why we don't like to admit it. And Peter is struggling with failure in this moment. He's feeling the pain of letting Jesus down. We've all been there, haven't we? We're going to be a strong Christian. We're going we're to go all in. We're not going to let Jesus down. We're going to follow him no matter what. And then something little trips us up. And we deny Jesus with our lives or with our reaction to something or with our attitude or with how we treat the people in our own home. We, we deny Jesus with our words. And, and all of a sudden, we fail. We trip up. We stumble. We struggle with failure in big and small ways. We struggle, and some of us are struggling today. Maybe you're struggling as a parent. I, I, I just, I don't feel like I'm a good mom. I, I don't feel like I'm a good dad. Maybe as a grandparent, I just, I don't feel like I'm a really good grandparent to the grandkids. Maybe you feel like a failure with your business. It was going really good, and now I'm struggling at work. I'm struggling to help this business make it. Maybe you feel like a struggle at school with just the grades that are coming in. Maybe a struggle in relationships. I just don't feel like a good friend right now. I've let people down. And struggle hurts, it's painful, and whatever that struggle is, it's real. But, but failure hurts, and Peter's dealing with it, and he teaches us three things about failure that I don't want us to miss. First of all, he shows us that failure is not avoidable. I hate to break this to us, but you just can't avoid failure. It's going to happen. If you're breathing right now, you are potentially one step away from your next failure. If failure is going to happen to all of us. If it happened to Peter, it's going to happen to us. But we're afraid of it. But don't be. Because through adversity comes some greatest successes. As a matter of fact, to quote the legendary basketball coach Rick Pitino, since March Madness is coming up, he states stronger than I'm saying it, I quote, Failure is fertilizer. Everything I've learned from coaching, I've learned from making mistakes, end quote. Failure is not avoidable, but here's another thing we learned. Failure is not an event. I think a lot of times we think it's just this one moment. It's, it's one thing that's happening. It's, it's an event, but it's not. I, I know growing up, I thought it was an event. Uh, the best example I've got for you is when you get that paperback the teacher gives you from the test. You turn it over and it's not an A, and it's not a B, it's not a C. You're kind of hoping for a D, but it's an F. And you think that's a one moment, one event, I failed in that moment. But no, failure is a process. You see, if you fail on a test, you failed the process. If I made an F, it's because I didn't take good notes in class, really wasn't listening. I didn't read any of the chapters. And I didn't even start studying until the night before. And therefore, because of that process, I ended up with that particular grade. Same thing happens with Peter in our story in Luke 22. As you go back and read it, it didn't happen in that moment in the batter's box where those three strikes, it happened way before that. Remember the story? He goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, I'll never fail. What's happening? Pride. There's your first warning light. If you think you can never fail, watch out. That means you're saying you're not even human. <laughs> you're saying, I I'll never mess up, I'll never stumble. And Peter said, I'll never, I'll never let you down, Jesus. And then he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember what happened when the soldiers came and they, they grabbed Jesus? Peter didn't ask Jesus, Jesus, what should we do in this moment? That would have been a good question. He didn't do that. He pulled out his sword, remember? And he cut off a guy's ear. He wasn't aiming for the ear, okay? But he cut off the guy's ear. Jesus had to turn to Peter and say, put your sword away, and he had to take the guy's ear and put it back on real quick. Peter, just calm down. He, he's already in this process. 
And then, big statement in Luke 22, he follows Jesus at a distance. He's not close anymore. There's a distance there and the process begins, so it's no wonder that when he gets in this courtyard at Caiaphas' house, that he strikes out because the process is already in play. It's not an event, but here's the best news for us. You ready? Here's some good news today. The good news is failure is not final. It really isn't. It's not the end of Peter's story. It's just part of his story. And failure, if you're struggling with it right now, it's not the end of your story, it's just part of your story. It's just something that's happen, happening now, but, but it's not going to be the end. Even if it appears like if it's a huge failure, like the one that Peter experiences, it's not. Everybody has setbacks. Everybody has negative experiences. Everybody has those moments where they feel like they're going backwards instead of forwards. When I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro a few summers ago, it was a high mountain. The goal was to get to 19,000 plus feet. But what we did is, is every day we would go a little bit higher and then we would go back down. We were acclimating our lungs to the oxygen that was there. We would go up and then we would kind of come back down. They go up a little further and then we would come back down. And everybody in life has those moments of success and moments of what it seems like are failure. You see, what Peter teaches us with his life is, is that you can't avoid failure. He doesn't teach us how to avoid it. He teaches us how to fail forward, how to realize that you're going to mess up, you're gonna have setbacks, you're gonna have negative experiences, but what are you gonna do with those? And it's not the end. I love what the scripture says in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. Let me put it on the screen for you. It's very clear. It says, the godly may trip seven times. The godly may fail seven times, but... Would you say these five words with me? What, what, but what? They will get up again. I love that. They're gonna get up again. Failure's not final. They're gonna keep going in God's direction. But one disaster, one failure, is enough to overthrow the wicked. You see, I, I love this because what is it saying? It's saying that we can fail forward. And those who have the proper view of failure, who have the proper view of God, will keep going even when they stumble and have a setback. I think about when I taught my kids how to ride their bikes, all four of them, you know, and I would grab the back of that bike seat and I'd run behind them and they'd say, Dad, you got me, I got you, let's do this. And they're going, they're going in a certain direction, going down the street. And then when they weren't looking, I'd let go. And they'd go for a little while and then they would, and they'd fall over, you know, hopefully in the grass, all right? And then they would look up, they'd look around and I'd be right there, run up right to them. And, you know, it may take a while, you know, to get, we'll get back. We're going to get back on this bike. Yeah, yeah, we're going to do this. So what does the scripture say? The scripture says the godly may fail seven times, but they're going to get up again. How are they going to do that? They're going to know they have a father who loves them, who's right there in the stumble and the setback, who when they fail is going to be right there to say, hey, let's fail forward, keep going this direction. Let's get back up again. Let's keep moving. You see, not so the wicked. Who are the wicked? People that don't know they have a father in heaven. People who don't know when they fall off that bike, there's a dad right there for you who's gonna help you and loves you, who's gonna get you back on that bike, who's not gonna give up, you're gonna move forward, you're gonna make it. Let's not forget that failure is not final. It's not. As a matter of fact, you may have come for this statement today, your failure does not make you a failure. I don't want you to miss that. You see, Peter struck out, but it doesn't mean he's out. He's down, but he's not done. His failure doesn't make him a failure. There's so many stories in life about that. Did you know that Albert Einstein was expelled from school? You know Albert Einstein, right? The guy with the crazy hair, E equals MC squared, that guy. He was expelled from school 
for being mentally slow. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how embarrassed that teacher is? <laughs> Michael Jordan, great basketball player, was cut from his middle school basketball team. Can you imagine how dumb that coach feels now? But anyway, you see Thomas Edison, we know him as a great inventor, he, he thought of the light bulb. Did you know that it took him 1,000 unsuccessful attempts to get that thing that, right? You see, we forget that your failure, your setbacks in life, don't make you a failure. And that's what Peter teaches us. That's what life teaches us. If we hold on to God's word, we remember the things about struggling with failure. And here's three of them. You say, well, how do I win this struggle of failure? Well, if you wanna fail forward, first of all, you need to stop focusing on yourself. It's very important you wanna stop focusing on yourself. Peter does this at first, and he starts spiraling down out of control. I call this the failure cycle. What happens to Peter is, is he gets scared. It all starts with fear. When you make a mistake, you have some kind of negative experience striking out in Little League or, or just striking out at something you attempted to do. Fear sets in and says, ooh, I, I didn't do very well at that. I really stumbled, I messed up. I, I, I really, it was really a setback. And if you're not careful, it starts a cycle and you get afraid, you forget you have a dad who loves you. And that fear leads to something else, it leads to excuses. And what excuses do is they separate you from the actual event. Don't really wanna take responsibility for it. As a matter of fact, we see in Peter's life, he messes up, he's afraid. And, and because of that failure, he goes out from that experience and he goes all the way back to Galilee, 70 miles away, separating himself from the event. And he starts making excuses. We see him all the way through the Bible from Really godly, strong people of faith. Abraham says he's too old. David's too young. You know, Moses can't talk very well. Elijah's too depressed. Whatever it might be, excuses set in. For Peter, he says, wait a minute, Jesus said I was gonna be a fisher of men. I don't think I did that very well. Couldn't even speak up and say I was a Christian in front of a fire with one small group of people. I think I'll just go back to fishing for fish because I'm obviously not good and what God called me to, and you can kind of hear it in the story, but I call this next step self-pity. You start throwing a pity party, and some people are better at it than others, but Peter's really good at it, and he's a leader, so he's got other people at the party, and he encouraged six other disciples to join him fishing instead of being where they were supposed to be, doing what they were supposed to do, and he feels bad. The self-pity says, you know, if only I had done this, if only I had remembered this, and Self-pity says, you know, if only when that servant girl looked at me and said, aren't you one of the, if only I had said, yes, I am. If only the self-pity doesn't get you anywhere, it just leads to more of this. I call this phase in action. You just aren't moving. You're not going anywhere. It's kind of like putting the gas pedal down in your car and just flooring it when your car's in neutral. You just, your, your mind isn't focused on what God wants, it's focused on you, and you gotta stop focusing on you because this doesn't do anything, it's very unproductive. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that Peter couldn't even catch any fish that night. He just really wasn't where he needed to be and he couldn't really feel like he did anything well and it actually ends up, if you just keep this cycle going, to what I call breakdown, and that's where Peter is. He's just broken down. 
This can happen emotionally. I just don't feel like I can do anything right. It can happen physically. I just don't even feel like getting out of bed. It can happen with, with just breaking down the dream that God had for you and the calling on your life. I just don't think it's ever gonna work out, I think, and I'm afraid I'll always be a failure. And you can just feel how, how down and out this is because you're focusing on yourself. This is what Peter's doing. In the first part of the story, he's just in this cycle, and is there any way out? Can we get out of this cycle? Yes, you have to stop focusing on yourself. So what do you do if you're not gonna focus on yourself? This second thing, you're gonna start focusing and remembering that God has a plan for you. The way you get out of this cycle is you stop focusing on you. Because Peter thought it was all about him, but it wasn't. It was all about God, and God had a plan. And some of you came for this word today, and I want you to listen very carefully. You may be down today, but you are not done. I've got great news for all of us that God is in the business of using imperfect people, people who do not bat a thousand, to do incredible things for him. And that's you today. If you feel like you're down and out, you feel like you've stumbled, you feel like you have a setback, you feel like it's been a negative experience after negative experience, you feel like you've messed up and you've messed up, wherever you are today, you're not done. You may be down, but how do you get out of that? You remember that God has a plan. You get out of this failure cycle, and, and I call this, this other cycle, I call this the faith cycle, okay? This is how you get out of it. When you, you're, you're still gonna mess up, everybody fails, but I call this first step, instead of being afraid of that, I'm gonna actually have some reflection about it. I'm gonna actually ask some questions. I'm gonna ask questions like, maybe you can ask this question, if you are struggling with failure today, or when you do, ask this question. Where am I with Jesus? Am I close to him? And if I am, am I close to the dream he's given me? Am I, am, I, am I following his direction in that? And if I am, have I gone off course anywhere with that? Where, where am I with him? And, and if, if I'm on course, then am I trusting in my ability to do this dream? Or am I focusing and trusting and remembering his ability and what, what he wants to do in me? You see, as I reflect on that in the right way, it leads to a really big word that a lot of people don't want to, uh, to ever think about, I'm just glad I spelled it right, but anyway, responsibility. You know, I, I need to take responsibility for this. A lot of people don't wanna do that, but you have to say, you know what, where am I and what did I do wrong? What could I have done better? Where did I contribute to the mess up that I'm in right now? And as you do that, what you realize is, is that God has a plan, but first I have to admit that I'm off course. And if you have a moment this week, read John chapter 21. It's a, it's a powerful chapter because Jesus comes to Peter as he's in Galilee, 70 miles from where he should be, and he meets Peter in the struggle of his failure. And that's great news for all of us. If you feel like a failure, you feel like you're worthless, you feel like God will never use me, Jesus will meet you right there. And Jesus comes to Peter, and those of you who know the story, remember what Jesus did. He turns to Peter and he asks him this question. Peter, do you love me? And Peter says yes, and then he says, do you love me? Jesus asked him again. And, and then Peter says, well, of course I do, and Jesus asked him one more time, do you love me? Why did Jesus ask Peter three times if he loved him? How many times did Peter deny Jesus? What's happening here? Two very powerful things. First of all, Jesus is making sure Peter owns his responsibility, that he blew it. 
Hey, Peter, do you remember? You're my best friend. You're my closest follower. Do you remember out by the fire? Do you, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Will you own the fact that you blew it? You messed up. But he doesn't let Peter stay there. Once, As soon as you take responsibility and say, yes, you know, yes, I did. All of a sudden, what happens? You move to this next word, which is a beautiful word, and it is the word grace. All of a sudden, you find out that there's grace. And the second powerful reason Jesus asked him three times is he's reinstating Peter to his original calling. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? It's all grace. I love you. You see, we're gonna talk more about this word next week, but for today, here's what grace is. Grace is when you strike out with the bases loaded and it's on the line on the ninth inning and you mess up, Jesus says it's time to bat again. It's time to go back to the batter's box. I've got a plan for you. Grace says it's time to, and here's this next word, take a risk for me, step out, I've got a plan, and it's time to get in on that plan, get back into action, and you may get back to that batter's box and strike out, but it's time to start again, take a risk. I know some of you are saying, well, I don't really wanna take a risk. I'm really not one of those risk-type people. If you experience grace, God will lead you to a place of risk. He will tell you some incredible things that you're gonna have to trust him for, because he's got a plan that's bigger than you, bigger what you can accomplish. So I'm not really a person that's really a risk taker. If you're not a risk taker, don't get in your car after this. Don't get in your truck after this. Listen, do you know that 20% of all fatal accidents happen in automobiles? Don't take a risk. Don't travel if you're not a risk taker because when you take air, rail, and and boat, you take all that into account, 17% of all accidents happen on those. Don't, Don't take a risk. Don't even walk down the street. 16% of all fatal accidents happen when you just walk down the street. Don't walk down the street. You say, well, that's right. That's why I stay home. I just stay home. Don't stay home. 18% of all accidents happen there. (laughs) Internet campus, I'm sorry. It's dangerous out there, okay? You see, we're all gonna take a risk. When you wake up and you leave the house, you take a risk. So why won't we take a risk for God because of his grace? And get it on the cycle and say, where am I with God? What plan does he have? I'm gonna take responsibility for where I'm at and I'm off course. Thanks so much, Lord, for that grace. I'm gonna step out for you. You see, don't say, well, I can't do this or I can't do that. Say, I will. God will through me. God has a plan. I will. I will help the homeless. I will, I will get involved in fostering. I will, I will adopt a child. I will, I will get into a life group. I will, I will invite somebody for Easter. I will, I will serve my church. I will get back to the batter's box. I will take a risk because when you do and when you step out, it's a beautiful thing because you don't break down when this happens. It's something totally different. You experience a break through. All of a sudden, You may have some setbacks down the road and you just come back and reflect and it builds your faith even more. But these breakthroughs are powerful and that's what I'm praying all of us have today is we come back to a place where we acknowledge that we struggle with failure but we're not gonna give up, we're not gonna give in, we're gonna move forward and we're gonna know that there's a God who loves us, dad who gives us grace through Jesus Christ and we're gonna take some risks for him because of that. And that's exactly what Peter does. You see, I love uh, great 
true story movies. And you can tell the ones that strike a chord with American culture because they have big, huge ticket sales and then they're on TV on reruns and Netflix all the time and on Hulu. And you know, one of those movies that I think really struck a chord with us is that movie, Rudy. I bet it's on when you go home today. I mean, everybody wants to watch this thing. Rudy makes moms cry. Rudy makes grown men cry. We're not gonna admit that, but it's like, oh, there he's running down the field. What is it about this guy? Rudy Rudiger, true story, right? He was one kid of 14, grew up in Illinois. I mean, just all the odds were against him, poor family. But he had a dream to go to Notre Dame and play football for that school. Two problems with that. He wasn't fast enough or big enough, and he wasn't smart enough, his grades weren't there. As a matter of fact, when he graduated from high school, Rudy was 5'6 and weighed 165 pounds. Not necessarily football recruiting size. Not only that, but his grades weren't that good. He liked to say, I quote, that he said, I was third in my class. Not third from the top, third from the bottom. He graduated with a 1.77 D student. <laughs> he, he went to junior college and flunked out. Joined the Navy, he was there for two years. But he never gave up on a dream to go to Notre Dame. And he, as you saw in the movie, spoiler alert, he studied really hard, went to his sister college of Notre Dame and got straight A's, a 4.0 for two years. And actually got accepted into Notre Dame eight years after graduating from high school. Part one of his dream was there, but he's gonna play football. Well, he wasn't big enough, and so they made him a scrub where the real team gets to just practice on you, beat on you, you know, and get, get ready for the game. And he did that with all of his heart all the time he was there. And you guys know the story, true story, the last game he gets to Jersey. But he's still gotta get out on the field. In the last play of the last game of his senior year, Rudy gets in the game, and not only does he get in the game, he sacks the quarterback. It was the only time in Notre Dame history that a player was carried off the field. And only played one play. And why does that inspire us so much? Because we don't think about all the failure. We don't think about all the hardship. We don't think about all of his setbacks. We think about the fact he didn't give up and he made it. And you can too. What is the dream that God has given you? What is that thing that God is saying, hey, don't give up on this. And whatever it is, don't listen to the world. Don't listen to the culture. Don't let people point and say, well, here's why that's not gonna work out and here's why you can never do that. Step up, step out, believe. You say, yeah, I wanna do that. Where would I start with this third thing? Start with helping somebody. Start with helping others. That's what Peter does. He says, God has a plan for me. And so what is that plan, Lord? Well, that plan is always gonna be to help others. You can count on it. That's always gonna be the plan. I love what, what um, one of the greatest psychiatrists of the 20th century, Dr. Carl Menninger, said when he was asked, I quote, if you met somebody who was almost about to have a nervous breakdown, what advice would you give them and what would you tell them to do? Now, obviously, they, they thought because he's a psychiatrist, he's gonna say get professional help, but you know what his answer was? His answer was, if they're about to have a nervous breakdown, my advice to them as quickly as they possibly can, go out and help somebody. Because almost always, they're gonna get healthy by doing that. Don't you love that advice? I love the fact that over 170 of our church is on mission uh, just this month, a lot of it's spring break. Over 50 teenagers going to Mission Arlington, just in the central part of the Metroplex here. One eighth grader is so excited about going, her dad was telling me that, that last year as a seventh grader, she went to Mission Arlington and she was so excited to help the homeless, help those in need. And 
what happened there is, is they gave her some spending money because they got to go to the mall one night while they were over there sleeping in Mission Arlington. She came back last year and had almost uh, a few things from the mall and, and dad's like, where's my change? You know, you, you didn't get a lot of things from the mall. She said, oh dad, well, I met all these kids in Arlington that didn't have a lot of things. So I bought this girl this, I bought this little kid this and I bought this little kid this and just listed off five kids. All of a sudden, what happened? She's just helping others. When you get it on God's plan, all of a sudden you realize there's a dream out there that's bigger than you and it's not even about you. So don't even, don't even think about the fact that you struck out. Think about when God's gonna get you in the batter's box again. And here comes Peter. In Acts chapter two, you can read it later, but he gets back in the batter's box. 300 yards from Caiaphas's house, he stands up on the temple steps and look at what he says. It says that then Peter stepped forward. He's like, I'm not gonna give up. I'm back in the batter's box. And notice this guy who denied Jesus to a servant girl shouted to a crowd, listen carefully, all of you. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we're all witnesses of this. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And those that believed what Peter had said were baptized and added to the church that day. About 3,000 in all. Wow. We started this message with a baseball player that got 3,000 hits, wow. But that's nothing compared to what we just saw because Peter stepped back up into the batter's box and it wasn't about him this time. There was no fear and there were no excuses. He was all focused on God's dream, God's plan. God wants to help these people know the good news and now I'm gonna be a part of that. And the bases were loaded. And because of grace, he got to bat again. And did you catch this story? He knocked it out of the park Three thousand people were impacted by one person who didn't give up. My question is, what could God do with you if you don't give up? Because it's not what's happening to you. It's what you're gonna let God do in you. So let's pray for some breakthroughs right now. Heavenly Father, as we bow our head and close our eyes, we realize that we live in a world that's imperfect. And we recognize that we are imperfect. And in this imperfect world that we've struck out, we've blown it, we've had some setbacks, and Lord, I pray for everyone in this room and over the internet and every campus, I ask that today we would open our hearts to you and we would let grace in. And that those who don't know you would receive you right now and let, let them know that there's a God who loves them enough to send you, Jesus, for all of our sins and all of our mistakes and every mess up we've had. But today, Lord, I pray for those who receive you for the first time and those of us who know you, may we get up again May we rise up and hold on to that original dream and may we believe, God, that you can use us. I pray grace over every heart and that, Father, we would take risks this week, whether that risk is to go on a mission trip around the world or just to go across the street and help a neighbor or invite someone to Easter. I thank you, Lord, that you're gonna use all of us, imperfect people, to achieve your perfect plan as we trust in you. We ask all this in the name of the one who gives us that grace and gives us the power to live as we should, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Let's give God a hand for his grace and his truth today.